And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Stay tuned next for a cover-to-cover open book. Welcome to Cover to Cover, Open Book, Frame to Frame, as I like to say. My name is Raina Cowan, your host for the next half hour where we talk about film. Now, today I wanted to focus on documentary and speak with a Bay Area filmmaker. But before I do, I was thinking about how there are so many very strong documentaries in the theaters right now. Uh, One that stands out is an interesting film entitled Particle Fever. It's a new documentary by Mark Levinson, who's a Bay Area filmmaker and who has a Ph.D. in physics. He made this film about the Higgs boson particle. Uh, I didn't think I would be drawn to a film that was about physics. Uh, I was drawn to the fact that it was edited by Walter Murch, who is an amazing editor, and I thought, if he's editing it, I want to see it. But I was really pulled into this film, which is really dynamic. It is like a thriller where you get to find out if they discover this particle and the whole process for it happening. And surprisingly, there are a lot of very interesting physics people who are talking on this film. I would highly recommend this film. Another film that I like that's about to open is called Missing Picture, the new film by French-Cambodian filmmaker Rithi Pan. Rithi Pan has made a series of films about dealing with the genocide in Cambodia and being um, a child of the killing fields himself. He made this film, which is a very personal look at his experience, using little miniature figures that he makes to help tell the story. Really interesting opening in the next couple of weeks. But then I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to spend the weekend watching a lot of documentary films? And I discovered that the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival is happening. It started last night, and it runs through Sunday. It's a unique opportunity to see a lot of documentaries all over the weekend, some which are brand new that haven't been screened before. Some are old favorites, like My Winnipeg by Guy Madden. With me today is filmmaker Vivian Kleiman, whose film Families Are Forever is showing in the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival. She's a Peabody Award-winning filmmaker. She's in the Bay Area, and she was commissioned by the Family Acceptance Project in San Francisco to make this film. Uh, Welcome to KPFA. Thank you so much, Rena. Now, I can imagine that this is a very sensitive subject that you would have to go and meet with the family and interact with them in a particular way to get them to be both responsive to you and also uh, not overwhelm them. So how did you think about doing that? Well, the amazing thing is that uh, Tom and Wendy went on this incredible journey at rapid pace. Um, If I had written a feature film script uh, chronicling their journey, um, if I had taken that script to Hollywood producers, they would have critiqued it and said, oh, you know, Kleiman, there's too many plot points, it happens too fast, it's not credible, nobody could do it, could you please pare it down? What I love about documentaries, and as you were pointing out earlier, you know how fun it is to have a festival of 
dedicated to documentary films is that these are real people, real stories, real lives, and the truth is oftentimes more um, incredible than one can imagine, than more more incredible than fiction. Um, so by the time I uh, came into their lives, um, they had already been on this um, through through most of this process, and they had uh, come to terms. Uh, pretty early on um, with the fact that they loved their son, that there was nothing wrong with their son, and that um, uh, the church uh, doctrine needed to be reassessed and updated. And um, what was very difficult for me is that it's a complicated story and one that could easily uh, be, that one could easily dedicate uh, an hour, an hour and a half film to the whole subject and all of its nuance. And I knew that I was doing a short film uh, that was dedicated to being um, to, to trigger discussion, and so uh, I I was the, the onus was on me to narrow down uh, the aspects of their lives that I was going to focus on. Well, so did you have a sense when you went there what you were planning to tell in the story that was that wound up in the final film, or was it different? Well, first of all, I should say that. Um, Tom and Wendy found uh, the Family Acceptance Project uh, through the wonders of the Internet. Um, after they had started working with the church and trying to change their son um, and seeing that he, he was changing, he was becoming suicidal, uh, they went on the Internet, they found the Family Acceptance Project, which is a project of the um, of San Francisco State University. And it's a project that's dedicated to helping uh, families uh, journey from rejection to acceptance of their um, children and trying to maintain the integrity of families as a unit. Um, so the executive uh, director of the Family Acceptance Project, uh, Caitlin Ryan, had been uh, working with uh, Wendy and Tom uh, for some months prior to my involvement. And so by the time I came to film them, um, Caitlin had already had a pretty clear idea in mind as to what the core issues were, uh, how to structure uh, the, the story, and um, what the message was, which is that um, acceptance of a kid will make all the difference in terms of saving them from the kinds of troubles that most teenagers face when they're rejected by their families, but in particular LGBT youth. Uh, the, the percentage of uh, suicide and drug abuse and homelessness um, among LGBT youth is way disproportionate to the general population. So you had a sense of what you were doing, but then you actually have to work with a real family that, uh, <laughs> you know, I can imagine there's all these things going on. Um, you know, lost shoes. Uh, <laughs> I guess in this case, they might be going to church regularly. So, uh, how did you build their trust so that you could meet with them and that they would be interested in talking to you, especially because they're in a situation where they're challenging their church, so they must be quite sensitive? Yeah, and by the time when I approached them, or when Caitlin approached them, and when I started to um, uh, film, uh, they were smack in the middle of this process, um, uh, and they were still finding their foothold uh, as members of the church and yet very committed to staying in the church. Um, 
And then one just has to make certain decisions. Uh, I knew, for example, that the focus was going to be on the mom and her relationship with her son. Uh, I knew that uh, I had to have the son by himself. I knew, I knew that that would be obligatory, that the house could not have any other family member in order for him to be open and um, to probe a little more deeply than uh, he might otherwise. You know, the kind of stuff that we do as independent filmmakers is uh, hopefully more than superficial, more than just getting the facts. But in actuality, it's a conversation. When I'm interviewing somebody, it's a, a very personal and profound um, conversation, and it has to have uh, has to be given a certain amount of um, attention uh, to the space physically, as well as to the environment and the tone. And in order to accomplish that, um, I had to make certain requests of the family, for example. Uh, I, I asked them to uh, allow me to film them preparing to go to church, which they did. We got the brushing of the teeth, the usual fights between the siblings, the mom telling the kid to stop messing, to get off the floor because he's messing up his church pants. Um, and then we filmed them going out the front door and getting in the, the as they say, the Mormon car, their their van. Um, and off they go down the road to church. But then they stop. And they don't go to church. In reality, they don't go to church. They came back because I needed to film more of them. <laughs> and the little kids just loved it. They said, Mom, could we have more church days like this when you don't go to church? <laughs> we love these kinds of church days. <laughs> So it's easy to make friends. <laughs> That's really funny. So, uh, so one of the things you have to do is interview this boy uh, who's how old? At the time, he was uh, 13 and a half. Now, here is a kid who's 13 and a half who sees himself as gay. He's probably been bullied and harassed at school. And, and not, th- I mean... I, you know, I know a lot of 13 and a half year olds. It's very difficult for them to feel articulate and comfortable. So, what was that like? Well, he definitely was uh, nervous in the beginning, um, and uh, he actually. The, I should back up and say that Tom and Wendy were a bit cautious, um, and I would say a little bit concerned. But they had tremendous confidence in uh, Dr. Ryan and the Family Acceptance Project. Uh, who, I mean, they, the, Caitlin and the, the project really helped them enormously through this process. Um, Jordan, the 13-year-old, uh, by contrast, knew that this was a big moment in his life, had aspirations to be a performer of some sort, uh, theater, stage, film, who knows what you know goes on in the mind of a teenager. Um, but I noticed that he uh, loved to play piano. He liked show tunes, um, Adele, pop songs. So while he was uh, letting out, letting letting out some nervous energy, um, his parents recommended that he sit at the piano and just start playing music, which he did. And so I sat down next to him. I'd only met him a few hours earlier, and um, he was playing pop songs, and I just started to sing along with his <laughs> his playing, and we bonded right then. Uh, it's funny. I spend all this time interviewing people like you and uh, trying to come up with questions that actually capture something about uh, their experience and maybe ideas that they haven't talked about before. I could imagine that in this situation, you're both wanting to get something fresh and new, but at the same time, 
you have to be protective of like the 13 and a half year old and you don't want to throw any curveballs or something. So how did you think about that? Well, that actually was the probably the biggest challenge of the whole project. Um, he did feel comfortable enough to film with me. I actually, we filmed in a bedroom and the crew, the cinematographer was, I was next to the camera and the cinematographer and the rest of the crew was actually in the hallway uh, unseen but there the sound recorders was uh, listening through headphones but not seeing anything he was in the um, hallway um, and you know I think the challenge of being a good interviewer is to uh, lay a path and then get out of the way and to the extent that you can guide somebody to walk down a certain uh, path uh, and start to express themselves. And then at the same time, uh, keep one's own opinions, uh, uh, thoughts about it, what you think they're going to say, uh, to the side, um, creates a space that allows the person being interviewed to feel more comfortable and, uh, actually to feel listened. It's like an, it's an active listening, uh, that is very different from typical conversation that one has. Um, and I think that process is both uh, appreciate. It's well. It's always. It's. I have found that people always appreciate the experience of being interviewed with me because it's not an interview. It's a conversation, and it's not a. It's not a light conversation. It's actually a very deeply personal one that um, is uh, to be honored. And um, Jordan actually said some things to me that I learned later. He had never let his parents know. His parents found out when they watched the film. Um, and his mom turned to me at one point and said, Oh, my God, I didn't know that. He never said that to me. Uh, which is that he, Jordan had been um, formulating a plan. His plan was to, the moment that he turned 18, leave home, go to New York, and be anonymous, and live, a li- live the life of a gay man that he was dreaming about being. Oh, that's intense. We're speaking with Vivian Kleiman, whose film Families Are Forever is showing this evening at the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival in Sebastopol. Now, you're talking about gathering all this information and putting it together. You're, you know, that there's many different kinds of documentaries that you've worked on. And this one is really focused, as you said earlier, as a way to kind of jumpstart discussions, uh, which means that I would imagine that one of the groups you're trying to jumpstart discussions with is the Mormon Church itself, uh, or probably people who in their lives have had contact with people who are Mormons. And so it, it seems like you would have to be sensitive to different kinds of things than you would be in other documentaries where the focus is perhaps more on a general audience. Maybe not. I don't know. What do you think? Well, that's a very fascinating question. I hadn't quite thought of it that way. I thought you were hitting someplace else with that question. Um, well, I kind of one of the things that I really enjoy about filmmaking is the opportunity to poke my nose into worlds that I would otherwise not have the opportunity to experience. And one of the uh, enriching aspects of this collaboration with the Family Acceptance Project is that their goal in life is to um, do portraits 
do a series of videos that are portraits of diverse families, uh, economically diverse, ethnically diverse, religiously diverse, and uh, show uh, the journeys that these families are going through. Um, I, I'm not so sure that uh, it's, there's a particular difference in terms of uh, this being a Mormon family, except for the fact that they've completely changed the way I think about Mormons, um, which is I'd love to have one as my next-door neighbor. <laughs> They're very helpful, community-minded, involved. Um, and uh, I really appreciate a lot of their commitment to uh, their kids and, and to uh, uh, teaching a, a sense of values. So to that extent, I would have to say that uh, one thing that was different is that my experience prior to this, uh, my, my experience of Mormons was of, you know, young guys on their mission in, you know, starch white shirts, black, you know, suits, and going around knocking on doors with Bibles under their arms. Um, the, the Wendy and Tom, you know, this family uh, is dedicated, as I said, dedicated to making change within the church. Uh, they have linked up with uh, other families in a similar situation. Uh, th- again, thanks to the Internet. And they are, they are um, um, having an impact uh, on the elders of the church, and in fact, I understand that the uh, film was shown to uh, many prominent people in the church itself, and they, and always, as is the case with um, when when the film is shown to a, a, a group of Mormons, uh, men and women alike are are crying and are very very touched uh, because it really does get to the core values uh, of Mormon life and challenges. Uh, doctrine, uh, and that's very gratifying for me. Well, wait—they uh, were the biggest supporters of uh, the anti-gay marriage bill. So, uh, and that wasn't that long ago. So, are you saying that they're actually interested in engaging in this question? Has there really been a change, or is this just kind of like a one little pebble? Um, I'm not the expert, but it's my understanding that um, post the Prop 8 um, situation, uh, the Mormon church felt a lot of pressure uh, from within their community uh, to change their comportment. And in particular, uh, there have been a lot of people working very hard to try to um, help uh, facilitate uh, the Mormons, uh, Mormon leadership uh, to uh, shifting their position on LGBT issues. And in fact, shortly after we filmed, um, the f- we hadn't yet edited, but shortly after we'd filmed, uh, the Mormon Church itself came out with a new website called Mormon and Gay, which isn't anything near what we would like it to be in terms of a position, but it definitely revealed uh, a shift in their attitude. And um, uh, just the fact that they were able to do that was of enormous um joy to families like Wendy and Tom who are dealing with LGBT family members. You know, I uh, I saw this film first at Frameline, the uh, lesbian, gay, trans uh, film festival in San Francisco. And it was, what was astounding is that the family was there. And then after the film, different people lined up to talk to the mother, <laughs> to the father and to Jordan the boy and uh, you know people were crying and there was all this hugging and it was really dramatic and I think you know there's so many films that uh, documentary films where that's not really what the end result is uh, per se you know that that there's sometimes it's mainly about something else but this was also 
in a funny way about bringing people together? Well, this was a particular uh, situation where we already knew not the end of the story since these are this is a family that's uh, living and growing, um, but we already knew that this was a family that had gone that had uh, traversed a tremendous um, journey from struggling to uh, embracing of LGBT people. Um, so that's different than, you know, deciding a priori, oh, I want to do a film about, uh, you know, Mormons and gays and find a family and hope that something good comes out of it. Uh, that's a high-risk kind of a film to make. So we already knew that um, this family had traversed this whole arc, as it were, of change. And as I said earlier, it's completely astonishing that they were able to do that in such a short amount of time. Yeah, that that is remarkable. I'm Raina Cowan, and you're listening to Cover to Cover, Open Book, and Frame to Frame. And I'm talking with Vivian Kleiman, the director of the film Families Are Forever. Uh, you know, th- this is a series, and you've been responsible for other films in the series, actually all of them, I guess. So the one before is called Always My Son, and that's about a Latino family in the Central Valley. Uh it has a really different feel. Uh, what do you think? Uh, you're both paying attention to try to create something unique and individual for each of them, but also they have a common thread. So what were you thinking about that? Well, actually, the common thread and what's very interesting in, um, about this whole process is that it's a series that's, that um, focuses on the possibility of change. And I find that to be enormously powerful stuff. It's uh, for me, it's a uh, most important political um, uh, experience. Uh, the family that we filmed for Always My Son, uh, they're also in the Central Valley of California. Uh, Latino family, dad was uh, was a Marine, um, and uh, he had high expectations for his firstborn, his son, also to follow in his footsteps and be Marine, as was his father. And then lo and behold, um, his son is very different. And um, Ed had to uh, uh, modify his values and his expectations and his assumptions. And uh, as he says at the very end of the film, uh, I could no more expect my son to change uh, than I than anybody could expect me to change the color of my skin, which is brown. It is what it is. And uh, so for a guy like Ed who starts, you know, when, when we see him in the first frame of the film, he's uh, out target shooting with his gun. And then uh, at the end of the film, uh, he's come uh, quite a distance from uh, uh, the being the guy who tried to change his son to being the guy who wraps his arms around his son and his son's partner. That's amazing. So... You know, there's so many different kinds of documentaries, and right now there's like a an, an incredible range of documentaries. And I always ask people when I'm interviewing documentarians, what do you think the elements are in a documentary film? Because, you know, now there's, there's often recreations in documentary film. Uh, sometimes the story is so much of a story, you think, wait, this isn't really a documentary. So I'm just wondering what you've, you've worked on so many different films. What do you think about that? Well, um, for my first thought about uh, uh, filmmaking is uh, I determine who my, my primary audience is. It's a lesson that I learned from uh, my film partner, Marlon Riggs, 
whose landmark work, Tongues and Tide, kind of uh, created a firestorm uh, around this country at the time when it was broadcast uh, for his personal exp- po- and poetic exploration of being a black gay man in America and being rejected in the white society for being for among in the white gay community for being black and rejected in the black community for being a gay man. Um, Marlon's image expectation for that film was that it was designed just for a very targeted audience of black gay men. And as we know, it was, it won all the awards, top awards at the Berlin Film Festival and has been appreciated, admired, uh, wide and far. Um, so I kind of feel that the power of documentaries is to focus on the particular. And through that process, it imbues the subject, it imbues the film with a power and a vitality and an honesty and a rawness that it otherwise would not have. And I think that this series is des- uh, designed very much uh, with a targeted audience. And because of that, it also reverberates uh, way beyond that. Um, Family Acceptance Project that hired me to do the series understands very clearly that uh, the, the, the power of introducing people who are struggling with their uh, LGBT kids, uh, the power of them seeing, of being invited into the home of, you know, a Mormon family, of a Latino family, uh, that others in the series were going to be a, a black family, an Orthodox Jewish family, and Native American, etc. Um, it's, this is powerful stuff, and the power of film is to show you worlds that you otherwise would not inhabit. In terms of stylistic approach, um, the Family Acceptance Project very much wanted a very straightforward classic uh, film style, and that's what we've done, and I think it's been very successful uh, because it is able to be appreciated. It makes the material accessible to an audience that doesn't have um, a particularly sophisticated aesthetic um, ex- you know, eye. So that's been fun. But it is beautiful, too. Thank you very much. I, I think so. It's, it is beautiful and, and elegant. And, uh, you know, like for each each film, you choose a different... I choose a different aesthetic approach. I choose a different kind of a music. Uh, it's very, very important. I mean, it's very important stuff, whether I choose something that's going to have hip-hop or, you know, uh, African music or um, a European classical music. That's going to completely change the tone of the piece and the emotional resonance you know, that it has. So... Uh, that's important stuff to think about. So, you know, once you finish a film, what do you think your responsibility is to the people that you filmed? Well, uh, first of all, uh, while I edit a piece, uh, I always have in mind that they are my first audience. In other words, I want the people I filmed uh, to feel like I have told their story in a way that they feel to be truthful whether it's the um, members of the Mormon church, whether it's members of the Ku Klux Klan, NAACP. Um, I've done many different projects all over the world, uh, and my hope and aspiration is always that I capture their experience in their world. That's my primary goal. Um, and after that, that's when the work begins. When the film is done, that's when that only half, as a filmmaker, you've only walked down half the road. The rest has to do with um, uh, doing outreach and uh, distribution and making sure that the piece reaches the audience that it was intended for. 
Very cool. We're speaking with Vivian Kleiman, whose film Families Are Forever is showing this evening at the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival. If you want more information on the film festival, you can go to their website, sebastopolfilmfestival.org. Their phone number is 707-829-4797. And uh, there's a whole program online. There's a lot of very interesting films that are showing uh I don't know if there's something that has stood out for you. My Winnipeg from uh, is really interesting, a film from 2007 by Guy Madden. I like that film. After Winter's Spring, really interesting film uh, by a former Bay Area filmmaker, Judith Litt. And also I should mention that Families Are Forever is showing is a short showing on a program uh, with a longer uh, film called Mommy's, Mommy, I'm a Bastard. <laughs> Can I say that on the radio? <laughs> it's not one of the seven words you can't say. And another, another film that caught my eye is called um, Gringo Trails or something like that. Uh, I think it's called Gringo Trails, which is, it sounds like a very interesting film about uh, the whole notion of uh, tourism and tourist industry, uh, which is a very important subject. Uh, there's also a, a, a film that seems like it's a... Uh, a, uh, a collection of archival clips uh, called Teenagers or Teens, I think it's called. And that should be uh, a very fascinating film also. The teenage experience as seen through educational films from around the world. Well, all I could say is maybe I should start asking filmmakers what films I should see in the festival. That'll help a lot too. So, Vivian Kleiman, uh, thank you so much. I guess you must have a website that people can reach you at. Uh, and uh, the Sebastopol Film Festival runs through this Sunday in Sebastopol. So this has been Raina Cowan. You've been listening to Frame to Frame, Open Book, Cover to Cover. I will be back next month when we'll be talking about the San Francisco International Film Festival. Who would think that it's coming around so quickly? Thanks for listening. Get ready, because the next KPFA 